because this entire year we're on week 14 of 52, which means we have 38 weeks left. You got 38 weeks left in this year to be changed. And some of us are very determined by the end of this year to not be the same in a good way, in a very good way. And I don't know. Sometimes you go through the year and nobody counts it down for you. Like them years that I went by and you still in the same spot. Somebody has to bring it to your attention. We're on a method, a plan, a path here. All right. And you got to make sure you're making the most out of every sermon in every week because you only got 38 left. 38 left. That's that's not much. All right. It'll be Christmas before you know it. Amen. Okay, so uh, let's, let's, let's get into it. We're looking at how we can be reformed. Last week we looked at reformation through blessings. And so now when we say blessings, our church doesn't hear like blessings, you know, they don't hear that. They hear now, you should hear, the power to make, the ability to make. Well, we learned out last week that God is the creator and he, we were created in his image and we do the making. All right. He does the creating. We take what he gives us and we do the making. All right. This also means that we have to make stuff from a little bit of nothing. Sometimes you have to make stuff from impossible things. Sometimes you got to make a wall and you ain't even got no wall. You just got, you just got putty. But nobody would know that that is a, that is a, that is a hole back there. It is just a, ain't nothing back there but, but putty. And, and see, y'all done the run bases. You don't know what I'm talking about. You can build a wall out of nothing. Just, just lie that putty, Gerardo. <laughs> now, don't lean on that. <laughs> but it'll get you through. It'll get you through. And sometimes in life, God gives us things, and we don't like what he gives us. We complain. We don't think it's fair. Um, We look around and feel like other people got more. They started off better. And the rule of thumb with God is that you make with what he gave you. And this is tough because we know him to be all-powerful. And so our childish selves, our egocentric selves, like to believe that he should come in and change everything and give me something brand new. And he did. He gave you a brand new you. Because if you're going to get anything new, that's the most productive thing to get new is you. I give you a new car, same you. You're going to wreck it. Give you a new house, same you. It's going to be nasty. See, the best thing he could give you is a new you. A born-again Christian, a saint of God. And with this power of his spirit in us, we're supposed to be able to take whatever he gives us and make it glorious by his name. And last week, we found out that those are called blessings. And when God talks about, I will bless you, he talks about giving you the ability to be fruitful. The ability to take something and make something. Not necessarily the snapping of fingers and now you are a millionaire. That's not the same thing. He invests in you, and he wants you to reinvest so that his kingdom expands, and that's the most important. So last week, we looked at blessings, all right? We looked at the fruitfulness that is necessary for blessings. Uh, Today, I want us to look at reformation through responsibility. Reformation through responsibility. Reformation through 
responsibility. Now, those of us who are following through on our responsibilities are thinking, yes, show me how this is changing me. And those of us that have fallen short on responsibilities, and I don't know, you just, you don't want to thought it in your head. We're sitting here going, oh, dang it. Uh, missed opportunities to be changed. So let's learn about that today, if, if we could. Um, what I find is very interesting is that last week we looked at the parable of the talents, where it was a parable that Christ was saying the kingdom of God is like a man who went on a, on a trip and he, came, he gave people talents and they're supposed to multiply it. To one person he gave five talents and he multiplied it to ten. To another he gave uh, two talents, he multiplied it to four. And a third he gave one talent and this man hid it. He hid it because who knows? It wasn't a good idea. It was a terrible idea because he said, you're such a, a harsh God that you're trying to get me to do something that you didn't give me the power to do. And he's going to have the nerve to call it a sin and call me wrong for it. So you know what? Here's a talent that you gave me. At least I make nothing worse of it, about it. And we thought as Christians, for the most part, that our role is to make sure that we get to heaven believing in God. Come on, be honest. You thought my goal was to make sure I, at least I don't lose my faith. At least you don't lose your faith. That's, that's, not, that's not what this is about. This is about what you do with that faith and how you've increased stuff with that faith. That's, that's what it's about. You believe in Jesus? What did you do with that belief in Jesus? Did you grow? Did you get other people to believe in Jesus? And this is why I like our discipleship classes. Because for four weeks, they sat in a, a classroom and took quizzes. And on the last week, they had to create events to go out and evangelize. First time in the history of our church that we had five groups going out and I was not present. And I'm loving every minute of it. Because finally, this church gets to look like a real church. Not like an organization of, of selfish people. Not, not a clique of, of self-serving individuals, Right? but an organization that really believes in spreading the gospel. Because what you'll find out when you get out there is that people do really, truly need God. They really do. They need them more than you recognize. And you don't know it because you've got them. And all the people around you at church got them, right? But if I send you out, you recognize how many people don't have them. And it could just take a simple word and they'll get them. In Minister Monifa's group, the man said, I believe in a higher power, which was perfect from our discussion in discipleship class. Because then they knew exactly what to say to show him that this higher power is indeed Christ. It's your responsibility as a believer to share the gospel to aid the Lord in the winning of souls. It is your responsibility. It's not an option. He was, I ain't called to be a minister. No, you are not. You are called to be a disciple. And disciples, disciple. You are a disciple and then you disciple. So two things, you follow me as I follow Christ according to scripture and then you get other people that follow you as you follow Christ. And the system keeps moving. Right? That's the method. But somehow we got it twisted and felt like church was just really about me just bettering myself. It's just for me. And so churches become hospitals, and then they stay hospitals. Yeah. Right? Just come in when you're sick. Come in when you're sick, and then when you get well, do you, go, do you stay at the hospital when you're well? 
Absolutely not. And that's why people come in for a season and go out for a season. Because it was always about them, and they never shifted to say, now it's about the Lord. And in this house, true salvation is measured by your ability to love God with the love that he gave you. Right? So you can receive his love and get healed from a lot of stuff. But once you receive his love, you then have to share that. Right? Now, is love easy? Excuse me, is love easy? Anybody that's ever really been in love notice it is not easy. It's a bunch of arguing and complaining and, and compromising and adjusting and reconfiguring and rejiggering and a ton of sacrifice. A ton of sacrifice. But you do it because you love that person. So when the father says, well, I need you to reconfigure, rejigger, I need you to adjust and sacrifice. I need you to let so of something and compromise. I need you to meet me this way and give this up and give that up. And you be like, uh-uh, uh-uh, I'm supposed to be saved. What? I'm down here on this floor in hopes that you would see me eye to eye so that you know that this is the day that the father has called you to be a disciple. And it ain't going to be my fault that you get to heaven and he's going to be like, where'd you bring me? And you be like, myself. He's going to be like, depart. <laughs> you bring it yourself, he did. He did that. According to the scripture we looked at on last week, when the man with one talent came and said, well, there's the talent that you gave me. At least I have that. You can take that on with your hard self. Right? You know I wasn't going to be able to live a perfect life. You're going to just make me do it anyway. Huh, huh. Here, at least I make it bad. And so he gave him the one talent. And then Jesus says, you was a wretched servant. You're hard-hearted, you're selfish, and you're stubborn. He said, give me that talent. I'm going to give it to the one that had ten talents. And then he tells the disciples, in this message you should see in this parable, that if you don't have, he who has nothing, I will take what he has and give it to somebody else. Now, did y'all hear this? He said to him that has nothing, he will take what he has and give it to somebody. Just see how y'all be reading scripture and you don't even, you don't even put, he had nothing. And then the Lord said, I will take what he has and give it to So How can you take something from nothing? The idea here is what you had was never yours. Your faith was never yours. Your belief was never yours. Your righteousness was never yours. So even though you have nothing, what you do have belongs to me, and I'm going to take that back. Thank you so much. So you cast out to Hades, gnashing of teeth and torment. That's pretty much it. You, you brought nothing. You brought me what belonged to me. You supposed to get a pat on the head because you didn't steal? That's not how this works. You're supposed to bring me something. I hope you're feeling the heat. I hope all my new guests is feeling like, God, dog it, I need to be about something in the kingdom of God. I hope it stirs you up on the inside. I don't know what I've been doing in my life. I need to do more with God. I hope all my lackadaisical members that's on the outskirts, all my gadabouts, is like, oh, Lord, I need to do something. I need to do something. And I'm not going to stop. You're going to hear the gospel and how you're supposed to be spreading the gospel every day that you come in this door. Because I'm going to get judged, the Bible says, more severely on what I did not or did do to you. And I'm not going down. You're going to be like, I didn't know. I'm like, Jesus, they knew. Now, I may not say nothing off the top. 
I might just quietly be like, oh. And then he'd be like, oh, you didn't know? And, I, and then he'd be like, I didn't know. He'd be like, you didn't know? He'd be like, I didn't know. Jesus, honest, honest, honest. That's what y'all do. Honest. I didn't know. He'd be like, who was your pastor? Pastor Durham? Uh-oh. Uh, Taliba, come on up. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. They said it. Lord, you can run the tape. I told them. I told them on Sunday. Uh, <laughs> Run the tape. I told them they were supposed to have something with you. They were supposed to bring something to you. They are supposed to have a whole bunch of stuff coming with them, a whole bunch of people. I, I showed them. I told them. They just didn't want to do it, Lord, and I'm not going down with you. All this sacrifice will stop right here when I take my last breath. And after that, I don't, hey, you better be over here. <laughs> you better be over here. Don't look at me, okay? Pastor, I, I ain't your pastor up here. <laughs> there ain't no pastors in heaven. Pastor, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. I'm in line waiting on my next assignment. I want to be a baker. I already told God I want to be the baker in heaven. And I was waiting on Jesus to walk by my shop and be like, Taliba, give me some of that bread. You got it, Lord. <laughs> Responsibility. <laughs> Responsibility. Responsibility. The truth of the matter is we don't like to take responsibility because we feel like it admits fault. It does not. The admittance of fault is different than taking responsibility. The admittance of fault says, it is my fault, I'm the problem, right? Responsibility says, I see the problem and I would like the opportunity to fix it. Two different things. You could take responsibility and it not even be your fault. You can take responsibility and you didn't even do it. You can take responsibility and it wasn't even in your lane. I see a problem. And I, know, and I want to be a part of fixing that problem. That's responsibility. Now, there are times where you see the problem because you cause the problem. In those cases, you should take responsibility. Because it is a sign of absolute poor character when you can't. I challenge people in this house all the time, especially Sister Gabrielle. Because I would tell Sister Gabrielle, there's a problem here, Gabrielle. MIT, that's minister in training, Gabrielle. It's because this camera was supposed to be to the left, and now it's to the right. And she'll go, Pastor, I don't know how that got there. I thought you said it was supposed to go over here. Now, bear in mind, she never admitted fault. In this house, if you're the department lead, everything wrong is your responsibility. I don't, care. I don't know who did it. <laughs> it's on you. I, I told him not to do that. <laughs> it's still on you. I'm not going to go fussing at everybody. I'm going to fuss directly at you. Right? It's your responsibility. I'm responsible for other people. Absolutely. Welcome to Christianity. Galatians says you are to bear one another's burdens. You are responsible for your brother. Cain slew Abel and had the audacity to back talk God and say, well, am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you should be your brother's keeper. 
And what I don't understand is how people in gangs have more brotherhood than the doggone church. Got more loyalty than how? How? <laughs> You're supposed to take the fault and admit the fault when it's your fault. And then you should try to fix it. Because you had the power to break it. You had the power to break it. Which means there's also power for you to try to fix it and amend it. I love when people make a mess of something. I mean, a big mess. And they feel so bad, right? I mean, horrible. And they just say, sorry. Now, I know what's happening. They're so disappointed in themselves that all their feelings and emotion is just anger. I can't believe I did it. I can't believe I messed up. And they just give me a sorry. See, and I tell them, that don't fix it. If it's nothing you could do, then I need to hear more sorry. I need the same passion that you had about arguing, about messing it up, about breaking it. I need to have the same passion in your recovery. Pastor, I'm so very sorry. Oh, Lord, oh, I can't believe I did that. Oh, God, can, Lord Jesus, can you forgive me, Pastor? Can we do something about this? Oh, the same amount of veracity. But ego gets in the way. And when you make a mistake, it's more about you than it is about the thing that you broke. And that's not right. When you make the mess, you go on the back burner. It ain't time for you to cry because you mad. You hit my dog. <laughs> Suck it up <laughs> and tell me how sorry you are. But I just feel bad. I just had to leave because I was just mad. No, no, no. Put your feelings about you on the back burner and do and give what God has given you to give to make it right. To make it right. Come on, young folk. Y'all want to hear that because young adults make a ton of mistakes. And you're supposed to. You're supposed to make all the mistakes. Hopefully you make a ton of them while you're young. My prayer is that you make a bajillion while you're young and you have time to recover. But it's them scared folk that don't want to make no mistakes, that don't live, end up having to do it anyway, make the mistakes at middle age and have a little bit better time to try to recover from it. We understand if a child spills their milk. We can't understand why an adult keeps spilling their milk. We say you special needs. Something developmentally is off. And uh, look, as pastors, as parents, it is your job and my job to make sure kids know that they can be kids. Make a mistake. They're over here trying, I'm, I'm trying to be grown. I ain't going to make no mistake. You need to make all the mistakes. You need to make the mistakes while you're under my roof. You need to make the mistakes while I can see you, while I got my hands on you, while I can reach you. Go on here and make mistakes. Big adults got big problems and big consequences. Ask some of my members in their in 30s and 40s. Big consequences. Big consequences. Who came to help them? Nobody. It wasn't nothing we could do. We could just say sorry. Oh, man. What happened? Oh, man. What happened? Oh, man. Oh, I'm, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. Oh. But you had that responsibility. You got that responsibility. Children, you are still your parents' responsibility, which is why you should give them honor and respect. Because they're going to have to answer to the father. 
about how they helped you. Hello? How they cared for you and bore your burdens. All right? And it's lovely when a child has an opportunity, my parents did a great job of that, of making sure I could be a kid. They did. Now that I'm an adult, I don't mind it too tough. But I can't imagine what it had been like if I had to be an adult at 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. I would I would have been so tired of being an adult that by the time I got 25, like, I don't like this. I'm out. And suicide rates tick up amongst young adults because somebody told them they had to grow up too soon. By the time you come here, I'm over here trying to tell you, now you're going to make some mistakes, and it's going to be all right. I can't make them. You're going to make some mistakes. It's going to be all right. I can't make them. You're going to kick me out. You ain't going to like me. I ain't going to have nobody. We ain't going to kick you out. This ain't your mama's house. <laughs> okay? This your father's house. <laughs> he got ultimate authority. All right. Let's, let's move on. Let's, let's, where, where was I? Re responsibility. Last week, we looked at Matthew on the parable of the talents. Today, I want us to look at Luke chapter 19. Because <clears throat> it just so happens in Luke chapter 19, you go there, Luke is in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. All right. Uh, Luke is in the New Testament, and in Luke chapter 19, it just so happens that the triumphant entry of Christ, which is that uh, Palm Sunday, is told in Luke chapter 19. And just prior to the triumphant entry, of Christ in Luke chapter 19 is the parable about talents that we had last week. I couldn't have planned that better. I couldn't have planned. I could, ain't he good? Ain't he all right? I could not have planned that. No. I said, now what are we going to talk about? He said responsibility. I said, what they got to do with anything? He said, look. I said, oh my. In Luke chapter 19, the story of the talents is told yet again because it is a synoptic gospel. That means the same story told from different views. It's told again in Luke chapter 19 with some subtle differences that I would like for us to look at. In Matthew, we had one talent given, and then we had two talents given, and then we had five talents given. And in the story of Matthew from last week, talents were given based off of the ability. And what we learned is that the person that got one talent that the, 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 the owner believed more in the person with one talent than he did with the person with five. Because if you got to trade one talent, that must mean he believes you're going to get it in one shot. And some of us are one talent kind of people. We started less than, we started beneath, we started low, we started with not enough. And you go, why me, oh Lord? And he say, because I know exactly what you could do. I know what you could do with that one shot. I really do. And a person with five talents, such as myself, I know I'm a five-talent person. It's all right. I take my blessings as they come. I got, I, I got tons of opportunities to make mistakes. Trade one, lost that. Okay, let's try it again. Trade two, okay, lost two. All right, try, I'm do it again. I'm do it again. I'm trying number three. Number three. Okay, I lost that one. Uh-oh. Oh, I'm sweating. Oh, I'm only got two left. I need to make something happen. Now, do I risk it all and in faith, or do I just play it smooth? Five-talent person got a lot of opportunities to make mistakes. That means the Lord knew that you're going to have a lot of learning to do. I'm a five-talent person. That one-talent person, the person that had one thing less than anybody else, not the same type of opportunity. It wasn't because you were so bad. It's because you were that good. 
because you were that good. The Lord said, now who can I put? Somebody got to go in this messed up family. <sighs> who can I put there? I know who. He going to make it out. She going to make it out. She going to make it to me. She going to do something amazing. He going to do something wonderful. He going to find me. She going to find me. And she ain't going to quit it. He ain't going to stop until they do it. I know, I'm, I know who I'm going to put there. And it was you. It was you. It wasn't because you were terrible. It's because he put something so good in you that one shot is all you needed. <laughs> when we look at the story in Luke, the same parable is told in a different method, a different way, from a different view. In chapter 19, the story starts off with Jesus is going towards Jerusalem for what would be his last opportunity to celebrate Passover his last entrance into Jerusalem. <clears throat> As he's approaching, his disciples are enthronged around him and people are pressing around him to see him. And a man by the name of Zacchaeus, a tax collector, all right, he shows up and he can't see, so he climbs up in a tree so he can see the Lord Jesus walk by. And Jesus tells him, I wanna come to your house. And the man said, okay. Now before I go any further in that, after this encounter with Zacchaeus, Jesus then gives a parable about the kingdom. Same parable from Matthew with a couple of different focus points. Let's look at verse 11. Chapter 19, verse 11. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Let's stop right there. So on this particular story, this, this parable, there's something that the, the, the parable in Luke is showing us that is different than Matthew. Luke is saying that there's an heir to a kingdom. Now, this is resonating with Jesus's hearers is because in Jew Judaism and Roman culture, uh, Israel was a province under Rome, per se. And so even though they had leaders that were Jewish, all their leaders that were Jewish were under Roman leadership. Now, in order for a Roman tetriarch or governor to assume their role, they first, let's say you were a Roman and you, you were next in line to be the governor of this particular jurisdiction. You just can't say, everybody vote for me. That's not how that works. Number one, it wasn't a vote. You were appointed. And in order to get appointed, you had to go and visit Rome. Make your demand there. Say, I am the rightful next in line to be governor over here. And then you receive the kingdom there, the kingdom that you left here. So this, this one line is now showing emphasis about Christ, how he is the one that left his kingdom came here to assume the kingdom. It's showing that he had to die and had to be raised from the dead that he might go and say that kingdom there is mine. It's mine. It's mine. Hello, Father, God. It's mine. He's foreshadowing this has to happen. I have to go. And the only way I'm going is I'm going to be up on this cross. And I need you all to recognize I'm doing this because this kingdom is mine. All right? That's the first verse that is uniquely different in the Luke uh, example versus Matthew. All right. He said, therefore, um, he said, yeah, God appeared, 
because they thought the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. So let's look at this. Everybody is excited. Jesus has been doing a ton of miracles for about three and a half years. It's a lot of momentum. Millions and millions and thousands upon thousands, close to a couple of million, have heard about Christ. They're coming in throngs everywhere he goes. He's famous. And that says a lot because there's no Internet. So this is just constant. You know how consistently good you have to be to still be good by the time somebody on the other side of the world hear about you? Like, you got to be good now. And then when they hear, then they come back a year later, you still the same good. You can't believe I was off day. No, you know off days. Everything was running great. Because it took a while for information to travel. So year after year, and his, and his discipleship grew and grew and grew. So every time, he just walked around with throngs of thousands. Like a big shepherd with a ton of cattle. Everyone, just everybody. Just, oh, here come them Jesus crusaders. I'll tell you. Well, you know, at least they're going to buy some stuff. They're going to buy some. They're going to eat now. They're going to eat. It's good commerce now. They, them Jesus folk, they eat. Just so happens they didn't eat one time, a couple times, and he just made bread out of nothing. God dog it. <laughs> be the business owner. I was my, that might be my come up. You know? <laughs> oh, they ain't going out to eat today? Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. Let's focus. Let's focus. <laughs> you know when I get tired. Okay. All right. So he says, a nobleman went into a far country to receive himself for a kingdom. Now, Jesus is telling them this parable about this nobleman because they're thinking that as the momentum of his kingdom is coming, it's like, oh, he's the one. He's the Messiah. He's the one prophesied about. And the Messiah means the king. All right. All of Israel was waiting on this one king that will rule them and all the nations and bring peace on earth. And a lot of people are thinking that that's Jesus. He's coming into Jerusalem to face off with all the people that think it ain't you. The religious patriarchs of their day, oh, he's coming in. So it's like, it's like new radicals. I mean, just wilding out. I love Jesus. You know, they just, like some of you new ones here, you know. Oh, I love God. What's the Lord saying? Just challenging all the old people. You know, you need to be about the Lord. I know, oh, yes, you say about the Lord. It's just constant conflict from the young ones that's fired up. Hello? Hello? Because we got some new members that are like, I love Jesus. And the old people are like, oh, yeah, I love Jesus too. And they tell them stuff like, just wait till you be here for a while. They be like, ugh. They do. Don't, I know it. Y'all even told me. I just know that's how, y'all, how they do y'all. Yeah, wait till you be here for a while, you know. <laughs> wait till you really know, Pastor. <laughs> and just try to quench their little fire. Right? But they came in hungry. They came in, look at Lee, and came in here bringing new, somebody, same thing with Casey, came in, somebody need to see this word. They need some word being preached. And they come in excited. And I'm like, yes, this new mob of sheep. Let's get them. Let's go. And everybody ain't with it. Get out. We is riding this wave. Because the Lord is doing something. So now all of Jesus' multitude is descending upon Jerusalem. And there's this quiet, very harsh tension between old and new. Like these are the people that were John the Baptist that were just out here in the wilderness. Just They didn't even go to the temple, okay? We don't need the temple. We're going to just baptize ourselves in water. Same, same. What? Where would you even get that from? The Lord. The Lord gave it to us. <laughs> 
And when John the Baptist was out here acting crazy and wild, eating locusts, I don't even want nothing to do with none of the religious sects of the day. And he's just going crazy. Everybody's like, oh my God, that's what I need. I need something new and radical like that. That's how, that's how it's supposed to be. I need somebody to really get down to the nitty gritty and really show me how it's supposed to be done. And people are like going out in throngs. And then get this, then Jesus validates John the Baptist's ministry by getting baptized by John the Baptist. So, so, so you're going to support the newbie? Absolutely. Oh, so, so you're going to just back them like what he's saying is right? Absolutely. So you're going to say that, so, we, so just forget sheep sacrificing, and we're going to go all go to the river and get baptized. Yes. Tension. Tension. He just drew the line in the sand. I'm on this side. And if you want to be about anything, what you need to do is cross on over because it's the direction we're going. We ain't going back to that, that lackadaisical side, that I can just sit in my sins forever side because the Lord still loves me. It's about me, myself, and I. We ain't going back over there. We're going all the way over here where it's about people and souls out this wall all the time, every day. Now, now some of y'all got choices. Because I watched how it seemed as if some people didn't want to take responsibility for spreading the gospel. It seemed as if you had a hard time showing up and taking responsibility to spread the gospel. Uh-huh. I just said, all right, we still going to go this way. This is where we're going. And all these young new, new members is all fired up for God? Yeah, I'm listening. You going to listen to them? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm going to listen to you for everything you said I already heard. <laughs> Unheard for not 10 years. Mmm, tough. You can be a part, and that's what Jesus is trying to tell them. You can be a part of this, but you got to go in this direction. You can be a part, but you got to go this way. Ain't nobody trying to leave you, but we definitely ain't going to stay. Ain't nobody trying to let go of you, but we definitely ain't going to stay. Ain't nobody trying to push you out, but we definitely ain't going to stay over. You're going to have to come this way and take responsibility for the move that God is doing. (laughs) Take responsibility. All right, let's let's keep moving. Okay, let's let's go. So a nobleman went into a far country to receive himself a kingdom and then return. Calling, now look at this, 10 servants. He gave to them 10 minutes, 10 pounds, $10, who knows, something like that. And said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your minna has made me 10 minutes more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful and very little. You shall have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your minna has made me five minutes. He said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then another came saying, Lord, here here is your minna, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a very severe man. You take what you do not deposit and you reap what you did not sow. So he said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? 
and at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to them, to those who stood by, take the minna from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. And they said to him, Lord, he's got 10 minas. The man says, I tell you, Christ says, that to everyone who has more, who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Now, this is the speech before his triumphal entry. If you look at your Bibles, you'll see the header. Okay, this one, you need your actual Bible. Okay, you need your actual Bible. You'll see the next header is the triumphant entry of Christ. It really is. And I didn't even know this. Okay, we was in Matthew. I didn't even know. Look at this. So let's unpack this for a second. All right, and one, another way that this is different than the Matthew is that this particular parable is very um, gospel-focused. The parable in Matthew was kingdom-focused. In this, in this parable, everybody gets one minna. Everybody gets the same amount. Indicative of everyone gets the same gospel. Everybody gets the same spirit, the Holy Spirit, right? And each one multiplied it, right? Everyone got one, some people multiplied to 10, some people multiplied it to five, but all 10 of them got the same, the same gospel, right? And then they multiplied it and increased it. It's a very powerful situation. Let's, and when the guy who had uh, took his one minna and he hid it in a handkerchief, all right, he said, at least I was, the guy in Matthew hid it in the dirt, all right? This guy, he hid his in a handkerchief. You know, a handkerchief is where you put something delicate, something, you know, fragile. You put it in the handkerchief, then you fold it over, right? And you fold it in, and then you sit it somewhere nice and safe, right? Now, this is what God is saying we shouldn't be doing, is that the faith that I give you is not about you keeping that so pristine, it's not about you keep, oh, come on, y'all don't want to help me today. It's not about you keeping that so pristine and, and, oh, I can't let nothing happen to my faith. Because let me just be honest with you. Here at Renew, you learn all kinds of stuff. We discuss the arguments against Christianity. We discuss the scriptures and why they say what they say and how people have conflict with those things. And we often teach, especially in the minister's development and the minister's training, that you have to handle some of this like poison very delicately. But in here and at this church, you will always be, be confronted with some of your deeper questions. The ones that you really don't know how it worked. Like, is God really saying that? And how does he feel about that? And if that is the case, then am I really saved? And how do I really know? And everybody's challenged with a bunch of gut-rendering uh, gut questions that if you've always been afraid that if I tap on it, everything will unravel. You know those kind of questions, you're like, I don't know what that is. I don't want to mess with that. I might mess around and not believe. Right? And so you, in essence, you just take your little faith and you put it in a handkerchief. And you say, I just, I just don't want to mess that up, okay? And in here, we say, take that handkerchief off. Go out there and use it. I'm not ready. I know. I can break it. 
I could, I, could, I could really want something from God, and he doesn't do it, and then my faith is lost. You know how you do. I don't want to believe. I don't want to hope. I don't want to expect, because if I really believe, hope, and expect, and God doesn't do it, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. I don't know how I'm going to recover from that. People said that to me the other day. Isn't that right, Cece? Mm-hmm. She said, Pastor, I don't know what's going to happen if I ever go through another situation like that. I said, nothing. You're going to be all right. She said, I can't handle it. If I have to, Pastor, I might lose my mind. I said, you ain't, and if you lost it, we'll find it. Ain't nothing going to happen to you. Scared money don't. It don't make money. You can't hide your money, your talent in the back and expect something great and marvelous to happen from it. You have to take risks. And in the kingdom of God, you have the spirit that guides you in that. And everybody that put a risk on it, multiplied. Every last one. Nobody fails. Nobody said, I tried mine, I lost it. Not one time. Because it doesn't happen. And so then Jesus confronts the man and said, well, I knew you was going to be a harsh, you so harsh, you know. You know how you say, I didn't want to do it because I didn't want to mess up. I didn't want to do it because I, I didn't want to embarrass the kingdom. I, I didn't want to do it. You know, you know how you try to make it sound real noble. Like I just, no, on you, Lord, you know that I would, but you know, I was just, you know how you are. You don't like people to sin, and I didn't think I was really ready for that, and so I didn't really do it. That's the whole conversation. We're just going to take your talent and fold it up in that napkin and sit it over here on the little cabinet somewhere. Go ahead, just sit it over there because that's what you plan to do. Then he says, watch this. He says, I'm going to convict you with your own words. He said, if that's, really, if that's really what you thought, that I'm the kind of God that I'm demanding something from you that you can't do and you got to make something happen out of nothing. He said, if that's really how you felt, you would have gave it to the bank. You would have gave it to professionals that know exactly what to do to multiply talents. No, if that was really the case, then you would have joined an organization that knew exactly what to do in order to multiply your talent. You ain't got to do it by yourself. You ain't got to figure it out on your own. If you knew that that's the kind of multiplication I wanted, then why didn't you render your talent and learn how to grow an investment? Sitting back in church ain't served a day since you've been here. Just, just, just sitting around, not serving. What? Well, I'm not ready. What you know? You go just sweep the floor. Even if you get it wrong, somebody can go back and sweep after you. <laughs> and we will. <laughs> he says, I'm gonna convict you with your own words. That you're lying. What he's saying is that's not really the reason. That's not, that's not really the reason. You ain't really afraid of messing something up. That ain't really the problem. Because you was really afraid, and you knew the kind of standard I'd have, then you go to a professional. That ain't the issue. The real issue is you. Is you. you don't want to. Now, look at this parable. There are only two types of people. Did you guys notice this? The parable opens up, and the kingdom is he's going to go and get a kingdom that belongs to him. Right? He calls his servants, 10 of them, to himself. He gives them the minas or the talents, the dollars, and says, go and increase this, right? Then he says, the citizens of the same kingdom don't like them. And that's all he say about them. That they went up and said, we don't like him. And then nothing happened. It wasn't like it was, write them back and say, why you don't like me? <laughs> write them back and be like so what, what did I ever do to you and what could I do to make your journey better and what could I do to make your situation better and tell me what could I do to make you enjoy being in my kingdom more he never wrote a letter back saying please tell me what you need in order to make your kingdom experience better wow. 
But that's the kind of prayers you be praying. You need to make my kingdom experience better. And since you ain't making it better, I don't really know if I like following Jesus. Now, bear in mind, there are only two types of people in this parable. Servants and citizens. Did you hear what I said? Only servants and citizens. In a kingdom of all these people, right? You're either a servant to the king or you're a citizen. And at the end of the parable, it says all the citizens complained and all the citizens were killed. Slaughtered. Now, think about this. When you don't serve, when you don't serve the king in a kingdom, you've already logged your complaint. When you don't serve in the kingdom, you already logged your complaint. It happens all the time. Pastor, I'm not going to make it. I can't make it. What you're telling me is you're complaining. You don't think it's fair that I make you do this, ask you to do this, show up to do this, be here to do this. So you already logged your complaint with your passive-aggressive self. <laughs> right? So now we got a division. Because now we got those that serve, whatever the task might be, and those that just sit as citizens. Sit as citizens. And now you're sitting as a citizen, marking off everything you don't like, and you claim you're not serving because there are things that you don't like. But if you would take responsibility, come on, y'all don't want to hear me today. If you would take responsibility, come on now. If it's something you don't like, then why don't you go over there and try to fix it? Why don't you make it better? Why don't you take responsibility for it? responsibility for it make it better sitting around as a citizen waiting on somebody to fix it for you folding your arms like I ain't gonna do it I just don't like it it's something about church I just don't enjoy it these days I know why because you ain't serving because when you serve hello somebody and you start seeing something go wrong you start thinking now what can I do to fix it and ain't nobody complaining because everybody's trying to solve the problem it don't matter who did it it's how can we fix it it don't matter where wrong how can we fix it it don't matter what the problem is I want to fix it servants take responsibility even when it's not theirs and that stops you from being a citizen It stops you from being a citizen. You start working toward a goal. What I love about this church is that somehow by the spirit of God, he's called excellent ministers like my daddy, like Minister Monifa, like you all who have been so faithful and loyal to this ministry. And you could have been at any church with far greater accoutrement. <laughs> and you've built this. One tile at a time, one reno at a time, one light at a time, one TV at a time, one chair from sofa to chair at a time. You built it because you believe that the gospel is preached here that other people need to hear it. And even my new babies, you come in and bring another people saying you need to hear this. And you have a place to bring them because somebody decided to put a tile down, to put a TV up, to sweep a floor, to pay some light bills. You can bring them to a place because somebody else decided to be a servant and not a citizen. 
The line was drawn. He only called the servants, and the servants got the talents. And the servants went, can you imagine how good life was for them? What you got? Man, I got some money, okay? I'm about to make it happen. Who gave it to you? The king. The new king gave it to me, told me, go ahead and make it happen. I'm about to make it happen, okay? I'm waiting on my idea. I'm about to, I'm about to do this. And the whole time he's going, he's just living it up. Well, I'm maximizing, okay? I know what God called me to do, and I'm out here doing it. I got some problems, but it's working. It's working. This person is very happy because you're designed to be fruitful. Right? Meanwhile, the citizen, what you doing? I ain't doing nothing because I'm not even sure that we should even follow this king. Okay, did anybody check to see if this is a good idea in the first place? Is he over here changing up everything? I, how did he even know? He didn't ask me what I thought we should do. Oh, wow. Wow. So you're just sitting there, miserable, unhappy. Hello? And every once in a while, you got to tell yourself, get up. Get up. You know you start getting a case in the mully grubs. Just forget it. What's the point of doing anything? I just don't can't ever seem to get it right no way. I mean, it's always the same old, same old. It's just to keep, see if it keep going the same way all the time. I just can't ever catch a break. It's like I go two steps forward and then three steps back. I just don't even understand what's the point. Now you months to years in misery. Right? Months of years of misery. At some point, you're going to have to get up. You're going to have to get up. At some point, you're just going to have to get up. Because it ain't going to feel better until you do better. The problem is how you feel. You're not going to feel better until you do better. Y'all don't want to help me. You waiting on some miracle. Ain't nobody lifting that responsibility. Take the responsibility and do better. If you want to feel better, then take the responsibility and do better. Ain't that right, Mia? Talked to Mia the other day. I said, number one, ain't no losers on this side. Come on, Leanne, tell them we don't quit. We don't stop. We don't fail. Because God don't fail and we ride in his coattails. So therefore, we don't fail. We don't quit. You know, some of y'all got friends. And all y'all do is sit around and talk about how terrible everything is. Now, everybody knows that you cannot go any further than the social group that you are around. Now... If everybody around you is sitting around drinking and smoking weed, you think you're going to elevate past that? <laughs> oh, no. See, you're you going to be high, right? <laughs> you ain't going to elevate. You, nah, it's not. See, that's not really for me. That's not really what I do. That's not really what I'm about. Uh-huh. And you're going to stay there. If you want to go further, then you have to surround yourself with people that are further. You done made the person in your friend group the same person that smoked with you? You didn't make the super holy one. Be Minister Monifa friend. Be Minister Hudson friend. Wake up and start praying. Shout out, Bosha. Okay. <laughs> I said I wanted to grow. Shout out, Bosha. You making the people that is in your same spiritual level <laughs> your circle. You ain't got nobody in your circle that's just a little bit, a little bit more mature spiritually. That's a shame. Because anything that don't grow, dies. 
Then you can't understand why you keep falling back every so often. Then you're sticking to cycles, cycle. Everybody ain't in no cycle. Everybody ain't in cycles. Everybody in your people group. Everybody in your people group in cycles. The rest of us leveling up. We are. And I'm not talking about this because that comes by way. I'm talking about in here. In here. In here. I ain't angry so much. I'm not mad all the time. I ain't bitter all the time. I'm not easily agitated all the time. I ain't selfish all the time. I see myself leveling up on my insides. Because I'm around people that are more mature, that are more patient, more kind, more loving, more, you know. Now, this is the thing. This is a funny thing. Every once in a while, I'll notice a couple of my sheep that might be in a bad little loop of the same thing. Just a little, little cycle of the same rotation and a little friend group of the same people. And every once in a while, I'll encourage them. I'll say, hey, why don't you come hang out with me? Hey, why don't you come by the house? Hey, why don't you talk to me for a second? What I'm trying to do is level up your group. I'm trying to get you around somebody that's patient, around somebody that's a little bit more holy, around somebody that's a little bit more kind, around somebody that's a little more forgiving. And then you come to my house, you're like, it's so peaceful in here. As it should be. People heard my mouth. What? Walk right in the front door, sitting on the couch. I'm sorry, Pastor. I don't know what happened. Y'all guilty of it. Y'all all guilty of it. Head be like this. And if you ain't at my house, you in my car doing the same thing. I don't even know. It's, Pastor, it's the car. Your ride so smooth. The car rides so smooth, Pastor. What you just encountered is the peace of God. And you be looking for what I did. Now she put that candle over there. All right, all right. Now she, okay, what she did. Okay, she, her house was clean. Oh, God, all right. Okay, let's. <laughs> like, Let me clean up. And no matter what it is, you find yourself now trying to level up rather than being stuck in the cycle and the circle. Even though you haven't quite moved, you've got momentum and you start getting hopeful and excited. You start feeling like, I can make a little change. I can do a little bit of something. I can fix a little bit of thing. I want to play golf with the fellas. Casey, like, I like this. Casey ain't never played play golf before. He got out there, he was, he was making good contact with the ball. But what he really loved most than anything was the peace. Just walking around, just, Pastor, I like this, Pastor. You know what I'm saying? He was, you know, Casey Coolest, you know. You know what I'm saying, Pastor? I like this, you know. You know, this is nice. You know, this is my speed, you know. <laughs> now, I can't imagine saying some thug from the streets. <laughs> you know, I like that golf. But it's true. Nowadays, it's more people that are understanding that the peace of God is better than anything else. And they're just trying to figure out how to get it. 
It's so many counterfeits that burn some sages. Manifest. How many Instagram posts just repeat after me? I ain't repeating that witchcraft. You ain't gonna fool. I ain't fool. I ain't fooling up with y'all. I don't know what y'all about to voodoo me. You ain't about to voodoo me. Is it a scripture? Oh, it's an affirmation you made up. Uh-uh. 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 Is your name Jesus? Uh-uh. 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 I ain't meditating on your words. Your words ain't life-creating. I got words that create stuff. I think that's the best ones to meditate on. If I'm going to meditate on something. Affirm something. Y'all be like, mm, that's good. That's powerful. I caught you. Good. Good. I caught you. I caught you. Don't even know what they're putting in there. Just dropping off stuff. I mean, you don't even know if they deal with demonic activity. You don't know what kind of life they live. No, 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 hear me out. You don't know what they do. Now, now check this out. I give you scriptures, right? Out of the good book. Now, you know where this came from. And that if by chance, you're still not sure, I live my life right in front of you. Oh, you know everything. I'm, my minister know everywhere I'm at all the time. Well, right now she's over here, right? Oh, you're going to catch up at 3 o'clock. You got to go over there. And over there. I, everybody know where I'm at, and everybody's an open book. Ain't no secret sinning. Hello? Ain't no sexy boo on the side. Hello? Open book. So that means if I say, read, read this and meditate on this scripture, even the source to which God fed you from, you could say, now you know what? That might be. That might be all right. That might be. I mean, you know, it looked like it working for her, you know. I mean, it seemed like everybody around her all the time. I mean, Pastor, Pastor, can I be but you by myself? Oh, it's tough. It's tough. You got to get a schedule. <laughs> Some of y'all don't even know that's difficult. It's been so easy for you. The old babies, they know. They be like, oh, so you, you fool? Yes. For who, everybody? Where did that come from? They don't even know how hard it is. No, I just put them on in there. I put, told Keisha to pencil them on in. Because I'm trying to make sure you get out of your cycle. That you can start taking responsibility and fixing the things that are broken in your life. You will feel better when you do better. You'll feel better when you do better. You're trying to feel better ain't change nothing. Even if it's hard and you just attempt to do it, you still end up feeling what? The thing you changed caused you more pain, more agony, more time. You're more tired, you're more exhausted, you're all sleepy, but somehow in your emotions, you just feel better. I don't know how it worked out, but even though I'm more tired and I don't, and, you know, money, but I feel better. Because you decided to take responsibility and do better. To do better. It don't work no other way. Let me keep going to scripture so we can get out of here. Okay. <laughs> so he gave the man the ten. Everybody multiplied stuff for that one. He hid his in a handkerchief. Right? And said, there it is. I, I kept it for you. You ain't going to heaven with that. The word of God says that every man was born with a conscience of God. That means an awareness of God. Every man had it. And the atheists have to have faith that it doesn't exist because that's what it requires, more faith to believe that he doesn't exist 
then it does to believe that he does exist. And more scientists are beginning to say that. That's what we learned in discipleship class. So now every man is born with the conscience of God. And then other scriptures say that even demons themselves know who Jesus is. And they're not going to heaven. Now hear me out. Demons believe in Jesus. Did you put your faith in a napkin and felt like my only responsibility was not to lose my faith? Did you put that in a napkin and keep that? Because even demons believe in Jesus and they're not going to heaven. And the Bible tells you that. It tells you that. But you want to believe or accept that somehow believing in Jesus is all you need to make it to heaven. It says believe unto righteousness. But confess unto salvation. That means that's a constant thing that you're constantly doing unto this other thing. That's Romans. So you did good by believing in Jesus. That was given to you. No, you, I did good. I believe in Jesus. That was a gift. And I'm going to prove it to you in the next couple of verses. That was a gift. And if that's all you showing up with, he going to take that too and, and, and judge you and send you to hell. He will take that too. And I'm going to show you why. I'm going to show you why. Because when God says that you know something, it's different than what you think. Your standard of knowing is just onefold. God's standard of knowing is threefold. And I'm going to show it to you in just a second. Okay? It says, but as for my enemies, bring them here. Those who didn't want me to reign over them. And let me slaughter them before me. This is a tough verse. I mean, oh. He's going to just right in front of you like that? Well, could it be something that the Father knows about having coups in your kingdom? Could it be every king and every president knows that what you don't want is a fraction and a sect of people that decide not to live and follow the leader? And they squeeze them out if they're good. I agree with this method. I may not slaughter you, but I'll definitely put some squeeze on you. I will tighten and tighten and tighten. And you be like, why she don't leave me alone? Either you're going to pop or you're going to leave. But we're not going to have a coup. We're going to flow in unity. Because so much happens in unity. The entire kingdom operates based off of unity. As a matter of fact, do you know the ultimate goal is that we are so mature and grown by the spirit of the Lord that he will rule with us, or he let us rule with him, right? You're going to let me rule with you over other nations. That's what the saints are supposed to do, rule with him, with Christ, over other nations. How are you going to rule with the Christ and you wouldn't even like none of the Christ stuff? And, and the idea here is that there's so much unity that nobody has to, the Bible says, and he'll do away with authority. And nobody got to be over nobody when there's unity. And the reason my heavy hand of authority is over you is because there's no unity. No. When there's unity, we all have the same thing in mind. 
Miss, I remember when I first started this church, my daddy said, I said, Dad, I think I'm going to start a church. You know, the Lord's been dealing with me. He said to me, baby, I'm going to be your superintendent, Sunday school superintendent. I was like, oh, my God. I couldn't believe it. He believed in me. He believed in God. And he was willing to serve. I was like, oh, I don't know what to do. That's a vote of confidence like you would not believe. And there's always been unity. And we get so much done in unity. Authority is more heavily seen when there's disunity, when there's disagreements. But when you and I are on the same page, I ain't using no heavy hand for nothing. What you do? Go left, go left. I know that's right, girl. Let's go. And we just like, you're laughing to play. I know, right? You know what I'm What's going on? And we're just laughing to play. No, no, here go, miss. I don't like the kingdom. God is a God of unity, and it's very important that we take responsibility to walk in unity. Hello, somebody. To fix what can be fixed. Okay. So he slaughtered them all before him. And when Jesus had said these things, he went on ahead and going to Jerusalem, when he drew near to the, uh, Bethphage uh-huh, and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where you are entering and you will find a colt tied. You guys heard this scripture today on which no one has ever yet set. Untie it and bring it. If anyone asks you why you are untying it, you shall say that the Lord has need of it. So they did that. And that's exactly what happened. Skip on down to uh, verse 37. As he was drawing near on this colt, already on the way down uh, the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. The rejoicing is because they're anticipating the coming king. And they just, we've seen it. We're going in Jerusalem say, we've seen the miracles that he's done. We've seen blind eyes open. We've seen the deafs here. We saw, we saw lame men walk. We saw lepers here. This the one, yo, this the one, this the one, this the one, just the one. And they just so excited. I mean, they come in full force. They got a situation. Like, we know something y'all don't know. It's about to go down. We, we, let me tell And they're just so excited going into what could be a very confl conflicting situation of people that don't agree that he's the Messiah. And they're coming in in multitudes. Gang on lock, huge. Like, yeah. And they're just, they're just hype and circumstance and emotion. They saw it. Like we saw him do stuff that fulfilled what the scripture said that the Messiah would do. And they're very passionate about this. And they're just yelling and screaming and they're put throwing down their coats and they're like, Hosanna in the highest. This is, and they're like, oh my God, this is the king. And even though he didn't tell them it's not gonna happen right away, they still, they still don't know that that's the case. They're like, oh, it's about to happen. We about to rule up on y'all. It's about to be us. We taking over Jerusalem. And they, yeah. <laughs> we taking over Jerusalem. And they like, oh. And they were like, oh, yeah, it's going down. It's going down. We done found the Messiah. Y'all didn't know. It's about to go down. The Sadducees and Pharisees see that everybody's worshiping Christ as the Messiah, as God himself. And they tell Jesus, tell them to stop doing that. You know that you're supposed to be doing that. you Jewish. You're supposed to be worshiping man. He says to them, if I stop them, even the rocks will cry out. Now, in order for the rock to cry out, Number one, it had to be able to have a mouth. But, but not, apart from that, apart from that, 
It had to know what time it is. What he's trying to show us is that all of creation knows exactly what time it is. Even the rocks know what time it is. The trees know what time it is. And if I told them to be quiet, all of the trees would start swaying and saying, Hosanna. And the rocks would cry out, Hosanna. And all the creatures would say, Hosanna. Everybody knows what's about to go down. Which makes the next couple of things a little confusing. Because how does everybody know? Like even the earth knows. I mean, I mean, you can see it for yourself. They went and, and stole somebody's donkey. And the man didn't even get mad. He didn't even, what you, what you, what you taking my donkey? The Lord has need of it. Well, all right, go ahead. What? This will be a knockout fight. The Lord who? I'm going to show you the Lord. <laughs> You're going to see him today. <laughs> Taking my donkey. <laughs> but there was no schism about that. That means some random shepherd that has some random donkey or colt sitting up the side knew this what time it is. And then the donkey was like, this is my time. This is my time. And you know, he didn't even book back. He was like, no, nah, let's go. This is what's up. Everybody was all in it. Except... For some of these Jews, Sadducees, and Pharisees. Do you know how off you have to be for the entire of creation to know what's about to go down and you don't know? Like everybody knows. And you still over like, what's going on? Do you know how off you got to be? Like that's happening now. Everybody in the body of Christ and all of the earth knows that the end is just around the corner. But there's still a bunch of folks sitting here like, well, I guess I got time. You know, I guess I can go ahead and just try to live my best life. And we like, that's about to go down. You ain't seen it in floods and COVIDs and fires all over the place. Tornado, I mean, the global warming, that just, the, the animals, everything, the whole world is going in the pot, you know, and you just like, we got time. The level of debauchery and evil is growing because the Bible says lawlessness, lawlessness produces more lawlessness. The days are giving more evil by the minute. Young people are killing themselves on purpose. Do you know how deprived or depraved of a, so, a society you have to be? For those that have their lives in front of them not want to live that life? Now think about what kind of trash pot we have created, we have made, that young people that have a lifetime to live don't want to live here. We ain't never seen suicide at this rate from young adults. Never. Never. No society, no culture, ever. And it's in every society and every culture. Everybody like, we don't like it here. Okay. If it's getting so bad that humans don't want to be human here, this might be an indicator that the stuff about to go down. Don't rats abandon ship when the ship about to sink. Everybody went out when it looked like it ain't no good going on. And you don't want to disciple. And you don't want to evangelize. You don't want to take responsibility. 
It's people out here that don't want to live something that God gave them. Because it's too much darkness and pain. And you have the light and are getting refreshed every week with that light. And you don't want to share it. Anybody ever really dealt with depression will know that it is dark, dark. Dark, 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 dark. And all you want is a little bit of light. Just a little, just a little bit, a little bit. And you with your bright light self, night bright with the pokers that you put the, you make the pictures on it, you with your night bright self got all the light in the world and you just sitting over here lighting up this little building. How does this make any sense? Everybody over here got light. Hello, somebody. That's why they're here. You need to be out there where people ain't got no light. And don't give me that I don't want to fail. You're dealing with a professional. Give me them talents. Let me show you how to multiply them. Give me them talents. Let me show you how to multiply. Let me show you how to use them for the kingdom and what he intended for them to do, not for your pocket, not for your notoriety, not for your pride or your ego. Let me show you how the kingdom wants to use that talent. That it might be worth something. It ain't worth nothing here. Nothing. The harvest is plenty, and the laborers are few. And when he drew near and saw the, I thought you started shouting. I was like, well, amen. (laughs) He tripped. He was like, I was like, oh, oh, oh. You ain't saying that, but work. Cut. And when he drew near, this is verse 41. Is it the? The very stones will cry out when he drew near, verse 41, and saw the city, he wept. In two places, Jesus wept. This is the second. The tears of our Savior are no small thing. The tears of God are are no light thing. Right? And when it comes to strong people, They don't cry willy-nilly. They cry when it's important. When something is so gut-wrenching that it just, it don't mean that they're ashamed to cry. It just means, now this has hit, and this has hit hard. This is the strongest man we've ever seen. The most powerful man we've ever known. God of gods. The one, the only, most powerful, most sovereign, most loving. And something hit him so hard that he cried. He could fix anything, solve anything, do anything. But he is bearing witness to something that made him cry. Like just, ugh. Him. He's seen everything. Didn't he? You name me, Bobby saw it all. But this, this brought him to his knees. What did he see? He says, he looked over the city crying and he said, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes. 
The days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. He's crying because he can see what's going to happen to this city. And it did. AD 70 is exactly what they said happened. Circled all about, kids in it, circled in, everybody died. He knew the pain was coming. He knew what type of pain was coming. And not only that, the finality of that pain. The end of it. The no redo of it. The no second chance of it. The no let me try again of it. But now I see Based off of where you are, this is coming to you. And he cries. He didn't want it to happen, but he can see it. Now, what is it that he saw? Let's look again at this. Let's look at this key verse, a couple of key things he says. It says, I would, would that you would even had known on this day the day, the things that make for peace the things that make for peace. The conditions of peace is how the Greek translates that. I wish you would have known the conditions for peace. There are three conditions for peace. It's spelled out in this scripture and it's spelled out in every other scripture. And what people recognize is more than anything else, they want peace of mind. Isn't that it? I, I like to have peace with people, but what's more, peace at my job, peace with my money. But more than anything, I want peace of mind. Yeah. Peace with people is an external thing. Yeah. The fight is against something, the war. Okay, there's no peace because there's an adversary against you, right? An enemy fighting against you, right? But when you don't have peace of mind, the war is you. When you don't have a peace of mind, you are fighting you amongst yourselves. And here comes Israel showing up to Israel as conflict and no peace. He says, Christ says, I wish you knew what it would take to have peace. I wish you knew the conditions. He says, I come that you might have peace, but you don't know the conditions, the requirements that are needed for peace of mind. Do you want to learn them today? There are three. <laughs> the first is repentance. The first is repentance. You can't overlook it. Did you do it? Then you need to say sorry. <laughs> you need to say, I'm sorry. Y'all do stuff and then just ignore saying anything. Yeah. You knew you were wrong. You didn't say anything. You didn't handle that right. You didn't go back and say, I'm so sorry. That one form of repentance, we're not just in you, but you turned in one another direction and, stuff, and you actually did something in the other direction. What you did was in one direction and that was wrong. Repentance says do it in a different, di the completely opposite direction, but you have to do it, not just feel it. You can't feel that you were wrong and call that repentance. You have to feel that you're wrong and then do something right. 
And what most people don't recognize that a lot of the lack of peace they have in themselves is because they have unresolved guilt. And you can't ignore it. Your low self-esteem is because you don't like yourself. And why don't you like yourself? Because you do bad. You want me to tell you, no, like yourself anyway. I ain't going to tell you that. I don't want somebody to love me for me. You don't even love you for you. You know you lying. You know you selfish. You know you dealing with lust and gluttony. You know all this. I just don't like myself. I wonder why. What you want me to do? No, you shouldn't like yourself with that. You should take responsibility about it and start fixing it. But I can't drug you up with a bunch of happy words and motivational speeches to make you feel so high that you think you should like this. No, you should not like this. You shouldn't. Christ will love you. That don't mean you got to like it. Not what you do. You receive his love that it might inspire you to make changes. Right? Because he loves you regardless. But you're trying to have good self-esteem with bad habits. Wow. That, that's schizophrenia. <laughs> I want good self-esteem. I think, you know, sometimes I feel like my weight is really my issue. You know, it don't, it, 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 I just don't, I don't like how I'm, I'm too big, I'm too skinny. I don't know, whatever your method is. But at the film, I just don't have, well, are you, are you doing something about that? Huh? Are you doing something about that? If you can attribute your low self-esteem to something that you could actually fix, then why not take responsibility for it and actually I just don't feel because I don't have no money. Oh, so, so you, you have low self-esteem because you don't have no money. Are you doing something about that? Well, my job won't give me no extra money. No, that's them doing something about it. Are you doing something about it? then all of a sudden your esteem will increase. <laughs> it's hard to like yourself with bad habits. And churches across the world just giving you, just making you high for happy words. Hey, take that. You can do it. and ain't told you how to do it. Take that. He want to bless you. Ain't show you how to be blessed. Take that. I mean, just be happy, happy, happy. And then that high wear off, you go out there in a war, you come back and get your next hit. That's not here. You got a problem with your money? Let me see that budget. Yeah. Well, there your problem. Look where your money going. Hey, I didn't even know my money was going over there. Yeah. Yeah. There, there it went. I got a problem. I don't, I don't like how I look. Well, you, you going to the gym? Mm. <laughs> well, we got Sister Leanne. She'll, she'll get you going now. She'll, Sister Leanne will get you. She'll get you. <laughs> she'll get you going. Come back, glutes tight, arms defined. You know? I don't know what's wrong with her. Cause Casey walking around here, head held high. He like, who want it? Who want it? Who want it? Who? I'm like, that's what I'm talking about, baby. Get him, get him, get him, get him. As he should. Ain't no secret, all my men in my church fine. I don't date not a one, it ain't even gonna happen. But I can tell my sons in the Lord, they fine. They all them good looking. Got good insides. They do. They do. They're good men. 
Jesse know he too fine. <laughs> Let's move on. <clears throat> so the first is to repent. Let's say you, you got to make that wrong right. And in as much as you are able. Okay. But remember, making a wrong right is about the other person, not about you. It's about the other person. You can't cross their boundaries trying to make it right. Okay, it's not about you, it's about them. All right, so if they say that's enough, that's enough. You have to take that. I don't feel, nobody cares. <laughs> nobody cares. <laughs> You're making a wrong right. All right. The second one is reformation. I know, exactly. The key to your peace is you have to be reformed. That means there's mindsets that need to be changed, habits that need to go away, belief mechanisms that need to be reassured. There's all kinds of things that have to happen to be reformed, but you cannot actually have a peace of mind and you're all misshapen. You know, like everybody else knows, that there's a weak spot there. You know that's your weak area. That's my trigger. I don't care what you call it. That's my vice. I don't care what you call it. You know it needs to be reformed. And if you're not doing something about that, you're not going to have any peace. You're not. You're going to always have conflict in yourself. And it's nothing, it's nothing more draining than you fighting you. Ain't nothing more draining. I mean, you do something good, then you tell yourself, I don't even know why I'm excited. Ain't like it's going to happen again. What? It's just so exhausting to fight against your own self all the time. Maybe I should go left. Maybe I should go right. Well, how am I supposed to know? See, that's why I can't even decide. I can't ever decide what's going to happen because I don't ever understand how life is supposed to go. And I'm just, whoa. We laugh, but this is real. You are your own enemy. You have no peace because you refuse to work on reforming the areas that need to be properly shaped. I mean, some of us got some areas that got misshapen because of abuse, because of bad childhoods, because of conflict, because of sickness, disease, loss, mistrust. It happens. It happens. And all of a sudden, we got this whole area that's looking all bubbly and, you know, like it, it, it's oop and a doop. And, and nobody wants you to stay that way. Not even the Lord. And you will have more peace when we could reform this. Huh? When we can change the way you look at sex. Change the way you look at recreational drugs. For recreation. Is you done working? How's your bank account? Is you retired? Why are you recreating? <laughs> you working. Mama Jean, she recreating. She retired. Mama Jean, you be recreating. <laughs> the rule of thumb here, ain't no recreating until you've accomplished some stuff. Burning off brain cells that you actually need to do something. You ain't done nothing. <laughs> I'm tired. Tired of what? Life? No. No. <laughs> Multiply your talents. Fulfill what God has called you to fulfill. Then rest. Then rest. All right. Reformation. And the last one 
is righteousness. You repented of your wrongdoing, you changed why you do those wrongdoings, and then you started not doing those wrongdoings. That's peace. That's peace. And every person that followed that method, ain't that right, Shahida? Found new peace in their life. I recognized what I did wrong, I repented. I started working on stopping them things that caused me to do them things wrong, and then I started living in that. Now I have peace. And the same amount of, it's okay if I use an example, the same amount of conflict in your life is still present. But she has the utmost amount of peace. I watched it from the first day she came here to now. It's the same amount of drama. But she'd be like, you know what, Pastor? You know, I was talking to the Lord, and I just felt like it's going to be all right. I was like, yes. Mm. You better mature on me. Mm. Get it, get it. On my inside, they're like, oh, you was growing. You better get it, get it, get in there. <laughs> but I play a real little cute. Like, oh, yes, nice. Yeah, Amen. <laughs> So repentance, reformation, and righteousness. Now Christ says to them, if you had known what the prerequisites or the conditions were for peace, it would have made a difference. I'm crying because you cry out that you want peace and you don't want this much pain in your life. You don't want this kind of suffering in your life. You don't want this kind of drama in your life. You don't want all this in your life, but you have failed to recognize the conditions that are necessary for the peace that you say you want. I deal with it all the time. I watch you fall, get injured, fall apart, heart aching. I'm like, oh. And then y'all broke up. I'm like, no, come on, let's do this. And then let's do this. You repent it? Good. Now let's start working on this. And let's start working on this. And then start kind of getting back the way it's supposed to be a little bit. And he'd be like, bump this. And you just blah. I'm like, ha, 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 ha. And he'd come back agitated, more angry for the, for the wear. More cast down for, for, again, another failure. And now it's even harder for you to get yourself back up and try it again. Yeah. And I got to, come on, get back up. Like, All right, let's try it again. It, it, it. And then poof, it falls apart. And you go down again. And it's the same. And then every time I'm watching, you have zero peace. And I try to tell people, Minister Monifa, this, can you just do this one thing? And I give you one thing to do. Just one thing? Can you just do this one thing? Don't worry about nothing else. Do this one thing because if you can fulfill this one thing, you'll start feeling like you, some accomplishment is happening. There's some, there's some reformation that's taking place. Some repentance and now some righteousness in one area. In one area. And you get to taste the goodness of the Lord. You start tasting anybody. Look at, look at me, hallelujah. And you come in real happy, amen. Ain't God all right? You just be so happy. And so much more peace. And I try to, with the Holy Spirit, I want you to get addicted to that. A peaceful life. No conflict in yourself. Flowing with the things of God. I was talking to a multimillionaire on the golf course the other day. And he knew I was a pastor, but I don't like talking about it. I mean, you know. Maybe on the golf course, can you pray for me? Oh. <laughs> I mean, I'm into evangelizing, but oh. now it's a whole, sp- I can't concentrate. <laughs> can't concentrate when I hit the ball. When you, you, know, I minister, you ask the fellas, we go out, they start getting me to ministering, my, all my balls go, whoosh, and they just be like, yeah, Pastor, this is so good. And they balls just going, just just, just The more I talk, the better they balls go. And I'm like, <laughs> last golf trip I told them, don't talk to me. <laughs> I don't want to minister. I'm jealous of y'all shots. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, so he said if they had known, 
I want to look at now for the last thing before we go home today and we're out. The idea of knowing. When God says, because you believed, there's a different meaning than what we have. Similar to the word blessing that we looked at on last week, there's a different meaning when he says blessing than what we have. And now we learned it last week, right? The ability to be fruitful. When he says to know or to believe, that's different. It's a threefold knowing. And I want you to understand this because this is where your salvation rests. When God says you know something, or I wish you would have known in this case, the first is that you believed. That's just the first. That you believed he was the Christ. You believed that he was the Messiah. You believed that he was the soon coming king. That's the first part of truly knowing something. When the scriptures say, the Lord says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, because I never knew you. And they said, but we did miracles in your name. Yes, that means you only had one part of knowing me, and that's belief. And knowing is three parts. The number two is that you're affected by it. Affected. When you really know something, you believe in it, and everything about it affects you. If you know that homosexuality is a sin, no matter how everybody else tell you, you are affected by it. On your insides, you be like, I just can't. I, I, I'm trying to get with it, I just can't. If you know that getting high is a sin for you, I try to get with it, I just can't. If you know that sex thing is a sin, I try to get with it, everybody say it's not really sex, I just can't. When you recognize this thing, then you are affected by it. When you really know the gospel, you believe it, watch that step, you believe it, and then you're affected by it. The discipleship classes and your outreaches, I'm trying to get you to be affected by what you know. Where you not only believe in the gospel, but it causes you to move and to do something as it affects your fasting, some of y'all ain't eating, as it affects your prayer, as it affects your money, your time, your sacrifice. I want to know how much does this gospel truly affect your life? Because you don't really know it unless it affects you. You just don't. You don't know it. And when you know it, it affects you. Thank you. It affects you. Are you affected by it? And then lastly, the third part of this true knowing, and we're closing, is that you live up to it. You live up to it. I know this is the standard, and I'm pushed to do the standard, and now every day I'm living up to that standard. Every day I'm living up to what it is that I've, every single, I'm, I'm living, and this causes you to truly level up because you are living up to this thing. It affects every aspect of your life. You're being affected by it. You believe it, and now it's you just, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta be the salt. I gotta be the light. I gotta be the believer. I gotta be the disciple. I gotta be the fulfillment of what God said. I gotta be it. I gotta be it. I gotta tell everybody about it. I gotta be this thing. Now you have a goal. That's why I say my job is to make sure by the Spirit of God, you are living exactly everything God wanted you to be. What he, what he wanted you to live up to. Not your parents. Not your terrible mindset because of abuse. 
but everything he wanted you to live up to be. That's the goal. And then you really strive to keep living up to that. Men of God striving to live up to being what a real man of God is. Women of God striving to live up to what being a real woman of God is. Parents living up. Employees living up. You have a role. You have a role. And in every area, are you living up to this gospel that you say you believe? Because now that's affected you. Are you living it every day, standing all over the house? It's important that you live it every single day. So you don't truly believe, you don't truly know something according to God's standard unless you know it, you believe it, you're affected by it, and you live up to it. He counts this as belief. Just believing in Jesus is not enough. Feeling guilty about what you've done that's affected by it, that's not enough. You don't really know it until you live up to it. The altar is open. If you feel that you want to re repent, be reformed, and walk in righteousness as a condition of your peace, the altar is open. If you say, Father, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. I believe the gospel, but I see I'm still far and missing a couple of components from what you say it means to know. I believe it. I've been affected by it, but I haven't been living up to it. I repent. Come on in the name of Jesus. I repent. I want my heart to be affected by the things that affect your heart. I want to be affected by the gospel. I want it to push me to make conversations, to take time and talk to people, to meet them where they are. I want it to push me to prepare a couple dollars in my pocket to give to the homeless. I want to be affected by it. I want to push me to stop flicking people off when they cut me off on the highway. I want to be affected by it. I want to push me to stop looking at porn. I want to be affected by it. I want to push me to stop using recreational drugs. I want to be affected by it. I want to push me to stop, to stop being slothful, lazy, gluttonous, or lustful. I want to be affected by it. And lastly, God, I want to live up to it. With every breath in my being, I want to live up to it. With every fiber in my body, somebody saying, I want to live up to it. I want to come to heaven with stuff. I want to come to heaven with what you gave me, and I want to be able to tell you I multiplied it. I did this thing called life, and I lived it up. I lived it at the grocery store. I lived it in my car. I lived it at work. I lived it at the laundromat. I, every time you gave me an opportunity, I lived. And I came back with more. But those of us that are praying for a peace of mind, from the war and our members, I want to meet the conditions of my peace. You want to give me peace. The kind of peace that the world didn't give and the world can't take away, you say. And I recognize that there are some conditions for this peace, so I repent. I'm spending the rest of these 38 weeks to be reformed. 
and by your spirit, I want to walk in righteousness. I think I'll feel better if I do better. I think I'll feel better if I do better. Grant me your peace. Grant me your peace. Grant me your peace. I need to get rid of some of my stinking thinking, they say. I'm so negative and I don't have any peace. Let this mind be in me that you have, oh God. Let me do the work. I'll feel better when I do better. But the habits that I need to break, give me your strength and your spirit that I might feel better because I'm doing better. For the mindsets I need to change, give me your, your strength and your spirit that I might think better so I could feel better and do better. You're the answer to all of my problems. You're my coach. Train me. Strategize with me. And encourage me.